Good. What do you guys think about Palm Sunday? What do you think? I don't know. You don't know? You guys remember what Jesus did? We just read it. Anybody remember what Jesus did on Palm Sunday? He died for our sins. Yeah, he died for our sins, but at the beginning of the week, what did he do? Or who Okay, he can't let let me help you. He came into Jerusalem on a donkey that had never been ridden, and it wasn't a rodeo. Right? Isn't that cool? A donkey had never been ridden, but it wasn't a rodeo. And what did the people do? And kids were involved in other passages. We see that the kids were involved. Do you know what they did as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? Nope. They cut palm branches and laid them on the ground in their coats. Yeah. Why? Why did they do that? You know? Anybody know? Why did they put their, the palm branches in their coats? Do you know? You want to say? I know it. Okay. For the donkey to walk on. Yeah, and who was car- what was the donkey carrying again? Do you know? Jesus. Jesus, good. And what did the kids do and the people do? Remember? What did they do? Shouted, worthy is he. Yeah. Um, Who comes? In the name of the Lord, right? And they said, Hosanna. Right? Can you guys say Hosanna? Hosanna. You can say it louder than that, right? Hosanna. Ready? One, two, three, and we'll say Hosanna. And everybody can say it. I won't say it too loud because I got a mic on. But everybody can yell, let's say Hosanna on a count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Three. All right, that was pretty good, but not the greatest, right? Okay, kids, you got to help me out. Stand up. Stand up. We'll, make, we'll help the adults out. You guys really got to scream Hosanna really loud so that they'll say it really loud, okay? On the count of three, all right? One, two, three. There, that was better. But they, you guys did really good, but they didn't do so good. Okay, so we're going to do it one more time. Ready? Can you stand up? Yeah, we can stand up. Ready? On count of three. Ready? One, two, three. That was pretty good, but I just turned around. There's a lot of you didn't even say anything. The people that are yelling are doing a good job. One more time. What do we say to them to make them say it, do it? Anybody have any ideas? Let's do it. Huh? I don't know. Anyway, let's try it. Ready? One, two, three. One, two, three. Hosanna! All right, that was better. So go ahead and sit down, kids. So they were celebrating Jesus, that he came, that he was coming into town. It was a big celebration, but what happened at the end of the week? Somebody already said, somebody told me, what did Jesus do at the end of the week? He died for our sins. Isn't that awesome? If Jesus didn't suffer, we couldn't be forgiven, right? We couldn't be forgiven. One of my favorite verses, kids, I'm just going to share with you real quick, right? Is 2 Corinthians 5.21, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
And it says, he made him, who's the him, do you know in that verse? Who's the him? He made him, Jesus. Who's the he? God, the Father. God, the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. What does that mean, kids? He didn't know sin. What does that mean? Do you know? Jesus had never sinned at all. Right? Right? He didn't sin. He had never sinned. So He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. What does that mean? Jesus bore our sins in His body on the cross. Okay? It was like, have you ever gotten in trouble? Have you ever been disciplined for getting in trouble? I think I've shared this before. It would be like mom or dad saying, okay, you're going to get spanking, but instead I'm going to take your spanking. So instead of you getting spanked, your dad gets a whipping. Jesus took our punishment. Okay, right? Does that make sense? Is that clear as mud? Okay, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In who? Who is that again? Jesus. Jesus. So that we can be declared forgiven, righteous. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? How are we in Christ? By, what do you think? By works or faith? What? Faith. faith by faith. Okay. So we can celebrate. Jesus didn't come just to rule, but he came to die to pay for our sins, right? Should we let him rule? Should we listen to him? Yeah. Yes. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for our young kids, and I pray that each one of them will grow up understanding grace, understanding what you did on the cross, understanding your love for them. I pray, Lord, that they would love you above everything, that they would love you. Pray that you would just watch over them and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hold on, kids. We're going to do your special, right? All right. We have a special.
That's pretty good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Pray that you would just guide and direct us as we look to your word. We look to how great you are, who you are, and the work that you've done in securing our salvation and securing our eternal life. Um, Just pray that you would um, work in our hearts, help us to understand your word and to apply it in some way, Lord. And also, Lord, we just ask that you would um, just continue to to guide and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're, uh, I was going to ask Eddie how Virginia is doing. I know there's several people that have had difficulties trying to hear. Um, and that's, you know, that's a blessing that we have is to be able to hear, isn't it? Right? It's a wonderful blessing. And uh, um, there's several people who struggle with it. Uh, I was reading through some different uh, stories, and I found one that w- was kind of interesting about an old lady who, who would often turn her hearing aids off. And when questioned about it, she said, I'm 94, and I think I've heard enough. <laughs> you know, I, I pray that we never think that we've heard enough of the Word of God or of the things of God or of Jesus Christ. Um, we read the, the passage here earlier about the triumphal entry of Jesus. Um, and then several days later, we have his crucifixion. He dies on the cross. When we look at that pass, or those passages, that's what I want to focus on today um, instead of the triumphal entry. When we look at that point in time, we see that Jesus was crucified probably about 9 a.m. and remained on the cross until 3 p.m. From noon to 3 p.m., there was darkness over all the land in Mark 15, 25 through 33. Then Jesus spoke on the cross during that time or those times on the cross during the darkness and before the darkness. During those six terrible hours, he spoke seven times. So today I want to take some time and look at the seven cries from Christ on the cross. And so when we look at this passage, I mean, obvious application is to understand the work that he has done in securing our salvation. But as we look at this passage, we're just going to ask ourselves over and over again, if Christ cried so, if Christ did this, what must we do? Or how should this affect us? And as there were seven cries from the cross, the first cry from the cross was in Luke 23, 34. So if you want to turn there with me to Luke 23, we find the first cry from the cross. In Luke 23, 34, it says, But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing and they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. That kind of describes that they didn't know what they were doing. So we find that he says, Father, forgive them. And what does this mean? Well, first we see that Jesus was not hypocritical. He practiced what he preached, didn't he? He practiced what he preached. He was willing to forgive. And surely as we look at the following verse, 
or the end of that verse, that they didn't understand the enormity of their sin against Jesus Christ as they were involved in His crucifixion, in His death. Of course, we can only imagine that they had no clue who He was. That He is God, the Son of God. That He is innocent. And that He, even at that moment, could have called a legion of angels or a multitude of angels to His defense. But instead, he hung there and he says, Father, forgive them. Showing us how we ought to live. Some suggest that, that those immediately guilty of taking part were spared of direct judgment at that moment. It's speculation, I believe. Others think that Israel was spared immediate judgment until we know many years down the road, that they were judged or they were destroyed by Rome. Yet what we, we see here is that Jesus was willing to forgive. And that those involved, that one centurion as Jesus died, looked up at him and said, surely this was a son of God. They have to turn to him by faith. They still, just as we do, have to ask for forgiveness of our sins. The forgiveness is there, but everyone must accept it. But Jesus not only showed us that we could be forgiven, but He showed us how to live. Remember in Acts, first martyr Stephen followed suit, didn't he? But if Christ cried so, what, was, what must we do there's so many things that we could say we should do. The first thing that popped in my mind is repent. That is to turn from sin toward Jesus, believing in Him for the forgiveness of our sins. On the day of Pentecost, after Peter proclaimed Jesus and, and went down a whole list, a whole sermon, they asked Him, what do we need to do? And in Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe the repent in that passage is speaking to these people who were involved not so many days before in the judgment of Jesus Christ. In the rejection of who He is. And so they were to change their mind about who Jesus is and turn to Him for the forgiveness of their sins. What was, must we do? What must everyone do? Accept Jesus for who He is. Turn to Him, understanding that we're sinners. Seek forgiveness, that is, repent. There's many more applications we could, could make, but let's move on. The second cry was, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Look at let's let's follow, let's just read down through these verses in verse 35 of Luke 23. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If this is a Christ of God, his chosen one. These soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
Now there was, only, there was also an inscription above him, this is a king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering just, justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when I come, when you come <laughs> in your kingdom. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. When we look at this passage, only one asked and only one was forgiven. Both thieves had equal access to the son, didn't they? They were on either side of him. They had heard the same information. They saw the same person and the work of Jesus. Even though both of them had all this information, only one of them turned to Jesus for forgiveness. What about this forgiveness? What do we find here? It was immediate, wasn't it? He didn't have to walk down the aisle. He didn't have to be baptized. He did not have to prove his faith by works. His past, of course, it did not matter. It was all based on faith in Jesus who grants or gives forgiveness and salvation from sins. And yes, Jesus forgives sins. Amen. Praise the Lord. What about this gift or this forgiveness? It's a gift and it's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, a perfect passage for, all, for us all to memorize as well as verse 10. Because faith is not devoid of works, but here we find, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is as a gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This man was saved to enter paradise. And you find no soul sleep here. You only find paradise. Because paradise was immediate. Paul mentions paradise in 2 Corinthians 12.4 when he talks about the vision that he had. And it's, whenever it's mentioned, it's just an idea that it's the abode of God we find here that this man, just as we find in 2 Corinthians 5.8, that it says, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be present at home with the Lord. To be home with the Lord. That is, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So this man was ushered immediately into the presence of the Lord. But if Christ said this, or if He cried so, what must we do? Simply trust. Right? All of these point to faith. Trust. Trust in Jesus who went to prepare a place for us in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. In a dark hour, at a time when he could have been focused on himself, he tries to encourage the disciples and he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. 
that where I am, there you will be also. Of course, the way is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Simply trust in Jesus. Trust only in Him who gives eternal life, who has prepared a place for us. And of course, I expect every one of us in this room to trust Jesus, to have already turned to Him for salvation. Don't let the understanding of the wonderful grace of Jesus escape your notice. Do not let it become something that's minimal in your thinking. Trust in Him. Trust in the Lord Jesus. I'm a little behind, aren't I? So trust in Him. The third cry from the cross was in John 19. If you would turn to John 19, verse 26. Whoop. We'll flip back to Luke here in just a little bit. But as we go through this passage, I believe the commentators are correct, and I'm sure that you've seen this, maybe even in your study notes, the seven cries from the cross. They believe this is the chronological order. I agree as we look at this passage, these passages. But John 19, 26. While Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which is John, as you go through the study of the book of John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother, from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. I don't think he necessarily left at that moment. Maybe he did. I don't know. But from that moment on, he took the responsibility on himself to make sure she was doing okay. But Jesus says, woman, behold your son. Here in this passage, we find that Jesus still was, still was not focused on himself or his pain but upon others. Jesus assured Mary of His love for her here in this passage, even as the prophecy came true that the sword would pierce her heart. Luke 2.35 says, And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know, earlier in the Gospel of John, we find a passage, Jesus' first miracle, where he says, woman, and we think, well, it might have been a little bit of sliding against his mother, saying, I'm, it's not my time yet to do this miracle. Here, I don't think there's any disrespect, but nor is there any elevating Mary into a position that some churches may have her today. She is not the mother of the church. She was the mother of Jesus. But Jesus loved her. And Jesus, therefore, put one of His most trusted disciples in charge of taking care of Mary during her and His and everyone else who had followed Jesus their darkest hour. During the darkest hour, Jesus puts John in charge of making sure His mother was okay. 
showing his great compassion towards her. We know that he had, first of all, his heavenly father. Secondly, his earthly mother. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Otherwise, this payment on the cross would not have been satisfactory. Right? We know that. But if Christ cried, so what what must we do? And I just want to say, live. What must we do? Live. Right? By live, I mean accept the full glorious responsibility that Jesus has given us. Also, not only that, but when we've talked lately about eternal life, it's not just the quantity, but the quality. So live, even in the darkest hour, live for Jesus. Take whatever responsibility He has given you and obey and do it. Also care for one another in the darkest hours. Seek to love one another. Seek to to care about their deepest needs and in their most difficult um, struggles. But live in the darkest hour. Live for the Lord. The fourth cry from the cross was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's turn to Matthew 27. This also in Mark 15. But let's turn to Matthew 27. I know um, the one Sunday school class has been going through this passage and we kind of touched on this this morning, but Matthew 27, 46 through 47. The other passage being Mark 15, 34 through 36. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatsani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And in this passage it says in verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. It's not a contradiction to get different viewpoints as they've witnessed something taking place to describe things slightly different. Perhaps they heard it different. Uh, At different times they were near, not heard it different, but at different times they were either near or far off or couldn't hear the other things that they were saying. But if you have inconsistency in what you hear someone saying, a lot of times that proves that it was truly what took place because many different people at different places in different times will hear him speak. So that last cry, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but he spoke three more times after this. But here in this passage, we find that he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Before this, how many times did Jesus speak? Three times. He spoke three times before this before the darkness covered the land. And, and, and there's three hours of darkness over the land and he had not spoke, spoken at all during that time. At the end of these three hours, we have him speaking again, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which was the first of the last four statements. This again was a quote, direct quote from Psalm 22, 1. 
He said it in Hebrew, and they thought that he was crying for Elijah, or some suggest they were kind of mocking him still. Please, crying for Elijah. But we know he was crying out to his father as we have the translation from the Hebrew. But what kind of abandonment did he go through during that time, right? We can never fully understand the, the suffering, not only the physical suffering, but the spiritual pain and separation from the Father that he had during this time. Jesus became sin for us. So the verse that I shared with the kids, and you've heard me quote often, is 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, right? He had never had sin. He had never bore sin in His body on the cross before. At this moment, He did. There's separation between Him and the Father and the Trinity had never seen separation ever. And there was at this moment... Not only that, but the Father is pouring out His wrath upon Jesus Christ at this time. That is, Jesus is our propitiation. He had to painfully suffer to become our sacrifice so that He could satisfy the righteous wrath of God. So Jesus was our substitute, and therefore Jesus was made a curse. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. A curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Christ cried these words, what does it mean to us? What should we do in response to seeing what Jesus went through and what He said on the cross? And I just want to say, cling to Him. Right? He had separation from the Father. The intimacy was broken at that moment or those hours even. So that we could have a relationship with Him and the Father. Apart from His sacrifice and His separation, we could not have a relationship. There's reconciliation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not only redemption, but reconciliation in the sense that we who are separated can now be placed in the right relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know this, right? <laughs> you know this. You know these words. I hope you do. But we can now cling to Him because Jesus died for us. He bore our sin in His body on a cross, right? So that we can have a relationship with Him and the Father. Don't take it for granted. I do. There's times I do, right? But cling to Jesus Christ. Cling to the Father. And the fifth cry from the cross, John 19.28. If you turn back to John. John 19.28. Right after verse 27, John records this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the Scripture, said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. 
You know, earlier in Matthew 27, 34, um, and in Sunday school this was mentioned, he refused the pain-deadening drink because he wanted his full capacity, but also I think he needed to feel the full punishment. This here now that he was asking for was not the same drink. Let's, let's read on after this verse. It says, A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, let's stop there for a moment and look at this again. But he fulfilled Scripture with this statement, Psalm 69, 21, they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst they gave me me vinegar to drink. We see in this passage, not only did he fulfill prophecy, but he was thirsty, wasn't he? Remember, he is fully God and fully man. Therefore, he's human and he was thirsty. He also knew, I believe, that death was fast approaching. And therefore, I believe the vinegar enabled Jesus to give us the last two wonderful statements. But if Christ cried so, what must we do? Well, there's so many applications to this. I think we should know what He endured, what He did, who He is. But when I think about a drink, I think about Jesus. We need to drink in the living water, right? Remember John 4 where Jesus told the woman at the well in verse 13, John 4.13, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water that is in the well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. When we look at that verse, I think, yeah, quantity of eternal life forever, right? But quality. In Jesus, we will never need anything again. In Him. Therefore, we need to go to Him. And then it makes me think about David. When they were fighting, and he's like, oh, I need a drink from that well. And they, so he had some soldiers. He said, I would love a drink from that well. Soldiers who fought through the lines to get him a drink and fought back through. And he says, I can't drink this. You guys risked your lives for this. And he poured it out as a drink offering, right? You know, we should be like the soldiers and we should be like David. David willing to pour something out that he so desired as an offering to the Lord. There's nothing we should spare in our life. Nothing about us that we should hold back from Jesus. We should pour it all out for Him. But also we should be like the soldiers who go through the lines to bring water. Jesus is a living water, right? How many people don't know Him? How many people are thirsting spiritually for that living water? More people thirst than those who are satisfied, right? We should drink and we should take others 
this same drink, we should reveal to them the wonderful gospel of God's grace. We need to take Jesus to others. The sixth cry from the cross was, it is finished in John 19.30. John 19.30, after he received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now we have the word in Greek. I, I don't know if he was saying this in Greek or not, but that's how it's recorded in Greek. Okay? And I'll probably slay it now, the word, because I'm going to try to say it out loud in front of you, but tetelestai, uh, tetelestai. You know, this is a word priests, whether they were worshiping false gods or not, would use when they examined an animal and found it flawless or acceptable. It is finished, tetelestai. It is acceptable. Servants would use this word to say they finished the task given to them. When an artist finished a picture, they would say, Tetelestai, it is finished. Jesus' death on the cross finishes or completes God's picture. Merchants would use it to say the debt is paid in full. It is finished. Jesus is a perfect Lamb of God who finished the task the Father gave Him and who completed the picture and fulfilled all the prophecies, paying the debt in full. Praise the Lord. Right? Praise the Lord. Jesus succeeded in fulfilling an eternal contract or payment for our sins. Not His. Not His sins. Isaiah 53, 4-6. We don't have time to go through there, but Isaiah 53, 4-6 or 10-12 he paid for our sins. He, he satisfied the eternal contract. And this was not only saying it is finished, but this was a victory cry. It is finished. He had completed the work the Father had sent him here to do. In John 17, 4, he said, I came to do my Father's will, his work. He finished it. He had fulfilled his task and paid for our sins. And so if he cries, it is finished. What should we do? Yeah, we, we should rejoice. Well, we should first repent, I meant to say. Trust, live, drink, but rejoice. It is finished. Rejoice, right? Remember in 1 Peter 1.3, says that we have a living hope. Not only did he die, but he was raised again. In 1 Peter 1.6, because not only did he die, but he rose again. He, is, he tells them, even though you're suffering, rejoice. Rejoice. It is finished. Rejoice. The seventh and final cry was, Father, into your hands. Back in Luke 23, 46, I commend my spirit. Luke 23, 46. And Jesus crying, crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. This is from Psalms 31.5. It was used as a bedtime prayer by Jewish children. I'm, I read, I think, hopefully the commentators aren't steering us wrong. 
it shows us that Jesus died confidently and willingly. Again, I believe he died victoriously. And we can die with the same confidence. We already mentioned 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. But Philippians 1, 20 through 23, we can die with the same confidence. Jesus, we also see, gave his life up willingly. Was it taken from him? Absolutely not. He gave it up. If Jesus said this before he died, what is our response? Well, there's a lot of different responses again, right? But he relaxed. He trusted the Father. And so I was thinking we should relax, right? Because we trust him, because we know our soul, our eternal life is in his hands. Sometimes we need to wait patiently, but do not fear death. Do not mourn like those who have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us, uh, we of course can mourn. Death's not natural. That's not the right thing. That's not intended. We can mourn, but we don't mourn like those who do not have the living hope, right? We can relax. Listen to this. Uh, I grew up in Gandhi, so I thought I'd use this poem. From S.W. Gandhi. He in hell, uh, he hell in hell laid low, made sin he sin overthrew, bound to the grave, destroyed it so, and death by dying slew. Jesus' work, his suffering, was finished perfectly. He is the victor, amen. He died for you. He died for me. So when we look at Good Friday, the cries of Christ on the cross, His death on the cross, makes me think that we should continue to make sure that people repent, make sure that you have and trusted in Him, Jesus, so that you can live for Jesus and drink in Jesus and share Him with others and rejoice and relax. I pray that you're living for Him today. Let's pray. Lord, help us to fully understand the, the implications and the reality of the cross and what You've done on the cross. Help us to understand that we do not need to fear death, but that we have a life to live in You, for You, today, every moment, every hour. Help us to see that You are Lord and You are risen, but You died for us. You paid the severest penalty, the most severe penalty for us. Therefore, we owe You everything. Not only do we owe You, but we can't pay You back, but we love You, and therefore, we do desire to glorify You. But we need Your help. So we ask for Your help this week, not only remembering what You've done, and in who you are, but how we could share that with others and how we could live it out daily. Please be with each one and help us to know how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the young men come forward. We'll take up this morning's offering.
John Christensen, would you pray for the offering?